friends, welcome to the Go and Tell Gals podcast with Jess Connolly and Kanisha Bikes. Today, we're talking to one of our friends, a woman who runs on mission. We are praying this conversation leaves you fired up and ready to go right where you're at. We're super thankful for you. Let's go. So your book is titled How Not to Save the World, which is actually really intriguing to me because when I saw it, I was like, Help me understand, especially in these times, I feel like that could be taken like a multitude of different ways, right? But can you tell us maybe more about the book and about why you titled it, How Not to Save the World? Like, where did that thought, that concept come from? For sure. Yeah. Well, they just told me to write about what I know and what I'm an expert at. And I was like, well, I'm not an expert at much, but I am an expert at how not to show God's love to people because I've done this so wrong. And I'm an expert at how not to lead people to Jesus. I've said all the wrong words. I've been pushy in relationships, aggressive in relationships. Like I'm an expert at how not to save the world. I've done this really wrong by relying on my own power instead of God's, by comparing myself to other people, by waiting for the perfect situation before I say yes, waiting for that perfect step instead of taking the next step, by believing that I'm better off without community and that I'm better flying solo, and by believing that I should be fighting to be right in order to being people into a relationship with Jesus by never taking a breath and thinking it's all on me to save the world when the truth is that Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the one who saves marriages, who heals lives, who restores relationships, who makes the impossible possible. Our power can't compare to his. Jesus is the savior of the world. And so the book is really all the ways that I've done it wrong and all the lies that we have believed that have held us back from being who we've cre- been created to be and living the lives we've been called to live and the lies the lies that we've believed that has stopped us from sharing God's love with the people right next to us in the way God calls us to. So every chapter is a lie I've believed that have held me back and a truth found in God's word that combats the lie, that reveals the truth about how we can reveal God's love in our everyday lives. And what I've discovered sharing this message and sharing it at churches and sharing with people is that so many people have people in their lives, a loved one, a family member, a kid, a spouse, a little brother, little sister, who have said, I've just wondered if there's any way for this one person to know God. Part of me wants to give up on them, give up praying for them. I don't know if the way I'm faithfully showing up for them matters. I don't think I have the right words. I think some people are called to share God's love, but I'm not skilled enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. I don't know if I can lead my little brother, my daughter, my big sister, my husband, my boyfriend. I don't know if I can lead people to Jesus. And this idea that there is that there is some people in our lives that will just, just never know God, that's a lie from the enemy, a lie the enemy wants us to believe. So we stop praying. So we stop fighting for the people we love. So we stop seeing the value in everyday authentic relationships. So we don't want to believe the enemy's lies. And so I wrote a book called How Not to Save the World because I believe I'm an expert at how not to do it. And also perhaps some of us are too. Perhaps some people can relate to me that we've done this some of the wrong ways. And I was writing this book during 2020 when I was watching the antithesis of my book played out online amongst people and seeing like, man, perhaps us Christ followers are showing a watching world exactly how not to love people, how not to save the world. 
And so I just want to share with any Christ follower listening that just because we've seen it done wrong doesn't mean we can't be the ones to do it right. And so that's why I wrote this book as a guide to help us love people for real in 2021. Oh, there's so much there. I think the natural thing that I think is, okay, you know, you're discussing how not to save the world, which begs a natural question. How do you then save the world? And we know what the answer is, right? Like we know who the answer is. Now I'm so much more intrigued about the content of your, or the message of your book, if you will, and the heart behind the message and discovering, like, I'm so curious about how you discovered what the opposite of not saving is. Like, if we're not doing it this way, then how are we doing it? Yeah, for sure. Well, do you guys agree that you've seen so many people do it wrong or you yourself at times have felt like you've done it wrong? 1,000%. Jess just laughs. I mean, in some ways, I'm like, God was so kind to you to let you write this in 2020. You know, I mean, (laughs) he was like, here, here's the material for your book. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I agree. I, one thing that I online over the past year and a half, because of everything that we've all been witness to, one thing that I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me very strongly was that it's not my job to convince or convict, right? So I think as I listen to you talk about, you know, how you've navigated this idea that it's not our job, how have you approached that in your daily personal life? Yeah, so for me, a big moment for me was when I was 18 years old. So I was raised in the streets of San Francisco, My daddy was a heroin addict for 15 years who fought in a Chinese gang, had bullet holes alongside his legs from running from the police, from many times he robbed places. And he met Jesus, and Jesus changed his whole life. And he ended up planning an outreach to those living without homes and battling with addictions on the streets of San Francisco. And that's how I grew up. That's how I learned church. People brought their needles. People brought their bottles. I learned later when I grew up and other people said they were also raised in church. We weren't talking about the exact same thing. (laughs) But that's how I learned that Jesus could save anyone's soul and redeem anyone's story. And our dad was our hero, you know, growing up. And he did all these extraordinary things. And it made me grow up believing the lie that I had to do something impressive to do something impactful, that I had to do something big to do something important. And that was certainly a lie the enemy wanted me to believe, to hold me back from seeing the value of loving the people right in front of me in the less public, less obvious ways that you don't hear about as much on TV. And when I was 18 years old, our dad, my best friend, my hero, got cancer and passed away. And my baby brother, Elijah, was 12. And Elijah shut down emotionally. He didn't want to talk about anything, much less God. And I realized that I was ministering to Elijah so wrong. (laughs) Like I had seen my dad do it one way and I was just trying to mimic some other version of some of the preacher I had seen. And I was just like telling Elijah he needed to have more faith and he needed to pray bigger prayers and he shouldn't be sad. God doesn't want us to be sad and God's gonna use his testimony one day. And Elijah was 12 (laughs) and missed his dad. And that was the perfect plan of how not to save Elijah. And so I realized that every time I wanted to talk to Elijah about God or about my dad, Elijah didn't want to talk about anything except comic books. 
Now listen, I used to like love me some comic books, like the way an average person just appreciates the average Marvel movie. But you know when you meet people who are like into superhero comics, yeah. they're like into superhero comics, watching a Marvel movie with them is like a whole other cinematic experience. That was Elijah. And I realized I had been so mad at Elijah for not being as healed as I wanted him to be and as whole as I wanted him to be. I had been so mad at him for not stepping into my world, but I realized I had to step into his and I became obsessed with comic books with him. I learned to love what he loved. I'd drive seven hours from college to go to thrift stores and look at vintage comic books together. When Marvel started making all these movies, I would drive in, wear our Marvel t-shirts together, we'd get a big popcorn, watch the premieres on the big screen. And it was 11 years of a consistent relationship with my baby brother, Elijah, a consistent relationship of, hey, even when I started dating my now husband, Guy, he also became obsessed with superhero comics with us. And we'd, we'd get into this together. Years of, a lot of asking Elijah, what do you think about God? I'll never forget, there was this one time I went to San Francisco to a San Francisco Giants baseball game to bring him to the game. Well, we didn't get into the game because we were poor, but we were outside of the stadium holding like a handheld radio, listening to the game while hearing all the bougie people who could afford tickets in the stadium, <laughs> yelling, shouting. And I just remember asking Elijah, "How do you? what do you think about God? This must've been two years of, after we started reading comic books together. And he just said, I'm mad. And that was a lot of emotion for Elijah to share. He doesn't have emotion like me. He doesn't share emotion like me. I had to learn what Elijah really needed and how Elijah really saw the world. And I had, at that point, had done it so wrong. I had just sent him all these sermon clips of me, like, listen to my sermon, listen to the sermon. I realized at some point in my life, I had sent more of my friends links to sermons than I had sent them invitations to go get coffee. I have done this so wrong. And I realized that I, my baby brother didn't need a preacher. He needed a big sister. And so I just sat there with him and said, I'm mad too. I don't have the answers either. Maybe me and you can talk to God and try to figure that out together. Because I also don't know why this happened to us, you know? So it was nine years later from that day at the stadium, outside the stadium, and 11 years after our dad died that Elijah came over our house, my husband and I's house, and came over and said, okay, I'm ready for the joy you have. I'm ready for the peace you have. I know it's Jesus because you've told me 100,000 times, so I get it. Wow. <laughs> Listen, I am who I am. I talk about Jesus loudly, consistently. Sometimes I rhyme. It's a whole thing. <laughs> It'd be really hard to be one of my real friends or have a real relationship with me and not consistently hear how Jesus is transforming my life. I'm just like very open about what I'm struggling with, very open about what God's doing in my life. You'll, you'll just hear about it all the time. So anyways, Elijah just said he was ready for it. And I didn't have the perfect words. To answer your question, I didn't have the perfect words. I felt like my dad could have done it better. Some theologian could have done it better. Or any freshman at any Christian college could tear apart the perfect or imperfect theological words that I did or did not use. But I realized how much pressure I'd put on myself and how much that none of that mattered. As Elijah, Jesus, his number one, gave his life to Jesus, said, Jesus, I repent for my sin. I'm turning away from my shame and my regret. I want to follow you forever. And it wasn't perfect. It wasn't like the movies. After we said amen, I didn't know what to do. I was like, what do I do with my hands? Do we hug? Like, we're not an affectionate family. We're very yeah. Asian. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, oh, 
Do you want some food? Do you want some food? Let's get some food. So if people want a guide to how to perfectly lead everyone they know to Jesus, I have no idea. And this book is not that This book. is not it. Yeah. Here's something I do know. There are people in your life that need to know they're not alone. And why would they believe us that the God we're talking about wants to be with them if we don't even want to be with them? And God was not so mad at us when we were far from him, so mad that he stayed distant from us. Instead, he sent Jesus to come be Emmanuel, God with us, with us where we really are, with us in our real hurts. So for anyone listening today, if you want to reveal God's love to the people right next to you, I want you to know that many times your greatest witness will be your withness. Mm, That's so good. How are you coming alongside of people and being with them where they really are? It rarely happens overnight. Sometimes it's 11 years. But I just want to encourage people to not give up on fighting for those they love. Don't give up praying for them. I almost gave up on Elijah. I almost gave up on praying for him. But don't give up on fighting for those you love. Don't give up praying. And I would encourage listeners, how is your witness today with your loved ones? How is your witness today with your community? How is your witness with your church? How can we love the way God has loved us? We can be with people where they really are. I love that so much. I was just going to say, I hear you saying there are a couple, a lot of things that was beautiful, but it sounds like one of the most important things is to make sure you're meeting people where they are. It sounds like you met your brother right where he was in the midst of his pain. And also you validated his pain. You said, Hey, I know that hurt actually that I'm hurt too. Like, let's walk this out together. Let's trust God together. So I think that's, that's beautiful. Here's a question I have, Hosanna. What do you say to someone who would, who would say, I hear you, I agree, I'm with you. It's the witness. I need to be with people who don't know or love or profess Jesus, but I'm terrified to be in relationship with them. I, I feel like I won't know what to say. I feel like I won't know how to connect with them. I don't know how to talk to them. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm scared. I'm scared of the darkness. I'm scared of their stories. I'm scared of how they'll respond to me. What words do you have for them? Well, I would say that God's call to us is not to be less of ourselves or to make us speak to people in a way we don't speak to people or have relationships with people in a way we don't have relationships with people or for all the introverts to become extroverts. Like I think the call that comes from God is to be more of who you are and even your limitations God wants to use to make sure you're being who you are and reaching people in the unique way that you can reach people. So what you don't want to do is believe the enemy's lie that sharing God's love looks like how Jess does it or how Hosanna does it or how this person preaches or this person relates to their loved ones. What you don't want to do is believe the enemy's lie of that must be the way to do it and I cannot do that. Because you know what? There's a lot of things Jess does that I can't do. And there's a lot of things that you listeners do that neither that none of us three can do. So one thing we don't want to do is believe the enemy's lie that it has to look a certain way or that God wants you to be a different version of somebody else. God wants to use uniquely you, what you like, what you don't like, your personality, your quirks, your story, your questions, your imperfectness to find commonality with people and show how God can interact in people's real lives in 2021, how God has real answers to people's real questions in 2021. So one thing I wanna say is don't believe the enemy's lie that it has to look like anyone else. But the other thing I wanna say is, is that, you know, don't believe the enemy's lie that your story can never make an impact on somebody. 
that you're inefficient, not enough, not doing enough, could never do enough, that your story is too different or not different enough, that your story has too much shame, or that if people ask you questions and you don't have the answers, you might mess this Jesus thing up. The great news is that it is not on you to save the world. And God is asking you to partner with him on his mission. This isn't really our mission. This is God's mission. God's mission is to be with everybody. And so as we partner with God on his mission, we're not alone. This isn't my mission. I partnered with God on his mission. He wants to be with my loved ones. He loves them more than I do. So he has all these ways he's working in their lives and I get to be one part of it. So I would say to the person who says, I'm scared to share my story. You sharing your story may not be not look like someone else sharing their story. It might be you opening up to one person in your life, a friend or a loved one. It might be you writing a blog. It might be you sharing your testimony at your small group. You thinking about how do I lead my baby brother to Jesus? Hey, maybe it's not your baby brother that God is calling you to right now. You know, maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's a coworker. You know, and for you to think how you can be more of yourself and stretch yourself a little bit to say yes to what God is calling you to do, but don't believe the enemy's lie that you're not called to share God's love. So good. That's all. I mean, amen, snaps. I mean, everything. All of it. It's good. Okay, I have a, I have a secondary. Snaps, you're getting into my, my spoken word language. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, here's my next question, Hosanna, and potentially my last question, because again, I started this podcast saying, I believe you have a spirit of John the Baptist. I'm not even totally Ooh. sure I know what I mean when I say that. But you have on that, Jess. You have a prophetic gift that is unlike many other I see in our generation right now. And I am continually finding myself curious and hopeful when I see your ministry. Just like I'm I'm just so hopeful. You make me hopeful about what's ahead. So here's my question. Because I believe a huge part of this breakthrough that God is bringing through you of of people being and stepping into their own witness and not trying to save the world, but letting Jesus save it and empowering them to do it, to be a part of that rescue plan. I think part of that breakthrough was from a breaking of, okay, everyone is, mostly everyone's doing this wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So I would sense that you have your eye or your finger on different areas that feel broken. And while I won't call you to like, tell me everything else that feels broken, I would like to have coffee with you and talk about that. But I do want to hear, where do you feel like in the most hopeful way, where do you feel like the church is headed next? Where do you feel like Christian culture is headed next? Where do you feel like the women of God are going to go next? Hmm. I love that you said that you're so hopeful. I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. I'm hopeful with you. I will say that for me uniquely, you know, through the past, you know, year and a half, I've been with many local churches around the country and I feel like I've seen a lot of hope in how much the local church has fought for their communities, loved their communities, how senior leadership has gone above and beyond stretching themselves to start over and learn how to love a community. So I would say that I am hopeful that our churches the capital C church, the the future of our church is meeting people where they really are, not where we want them to be, not putting programs over people, not putting projects over people, 
not putting branding or platform over people, but I'm seeing more and more an urgency to know the real person of Jesus for real and to show other people how loved they really are. And there was a lot of darkness this past year and a half, and there still is. But when I am with people who really love Jesus and really love people, I find a lot of hope of who I can be, the best that I can be. I see in other people, I think I want to be a little bit more like that. And I'm seeing more people than I ever imagined that I feel are the real deal. Now, the truth is that I've had a complicated relationship with the church. I share a lot about that in my book, that 10 years ago, I wasn't even sure what my role was in the church, if I wanted to be a part of this church thing, and maybe I can't stand all those people. And at some point, I realized that we will not see change if we just leave our churches or leave a community of believers and complain about all those people or write hateful Facebook posts about all those people or write hurtful tweets about all those people. We will only see change in people's lives really restored by the gospel of Jesus if we say, we're the people. We can be the change we've been praying for. We can be the community we've been begging God for. Change is only going to come from the inside. So the truth is that the church is better when you're in it. And we don't want to tear down the very community we've been called to grow. And so for me, the future of the church, I believe, I'm hopeful. I love that you said that, and I'm going to take that. I'm hopeful that I see more people thinking, what has stood in the way of me just being in love with Jesus for real and letting other people know how loved, letting people know how loved they are for real? What has stood in the way? And for me, I'm at a place right now where I've decided I quit. And I'm an overachiever and I'm not a quitter. But I've come to a place where the mission has become so convoluted with all this other stuff it was never meant to be about. And I came to a place the past couple years with God where I said, I quit. I quit any part of this mission that I was never meant to be on. I quit. I quit living for people. I quit living to please people. I quit comparing myself to others. I quit making the mission of Jesus about anything other than what it was meant to be. I quit being obsessed with what people think about me. I quit being obsessed with what I think people expect of me. I quit. And I think for some of us, I think that I am seeing church leaders and voices that are, I want to say quitters, <laughs> but people that are saying, I quit living for anything besides Jesus. And I quit trying to please a world more than I'm living to please Jesus. And I'm just about Jesus. That's where I see the church going. No, not, not, that's not everyone but I'm hopeful that there is a, a world and a realm of Christians and women who are saying, I'm not here for the facade. I'm not here to fake it. I'm here to know Jesus for real and let other people know how loved they are too. And I'm hopeful because I feel like I'm finding that more and more than I ever have. And for what it's worth, more than I ever thought I would. I don't know if I thought I'd be alive in a generation where I thought this many women were ready to get real. And um, I'm glad I was wrong. Amen. Well, I say, let it be so. Yeah, me too. Let it be so. That is that is a great way to end our time. And I am really upset that we have to do that because I actually do think that we could speak on this and talk and chat for about another hour and a half or so. We're going to bring it to a close. But Hosanna, thank you so much for encouraging us to be bold and helping us see our mission in a new, fresh, and different way. I am changed forever and marked forever just from this 27 minutes that we have spent together. And I know that our 
girls are going to be even more encouraged by what you shared today. So thank you for being with us. Thanks for the invitation. I love being a part of this community. I love it. Uh, We love you. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. We are grateful that you were able to listen in. If you love this episode, would you do us a favor and leave a review so other friends can find this episode? We pray it encouraged you and left you feeling equipped to run on mission right where you're at. We're super grateful for you and we will see you next week.